Hi, we are Pastor Jill and Xavier. This week's scripture comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. On that same day, two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. While they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on their journey. They were prevented from recognizing him. He said to them, what are you talking about as you walk along? They stopped, their faces downcast. The one named Cleopas replied, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who is unaware of the things that have taken place there over the last few days? He said to them, what things? They said to him, the things about Jesus of Nazareth. Because of his powerful deeds and words, he was recognized by God and all the people as a prophet. But our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. All these things happened three days ago, but there's more. Some women from our group have left us stunned. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came to us saying they had seen a vision of angels who had told them he is alive. Some of those who are with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women said. They didn't see him. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, your dull minds keep you from believing all that the prophets talked about. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then he interpreted for them the things written about himself in all the scriptures, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. When they came to Emmaus, he acted as if he was going on ahead. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us. It's nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. After he took his seat at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures for us? They got up right then and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying to each other, the Lord really has risen. He appeared to Simon. Then the two disciples described what had happened along the road and how Jesus was made known to them as he broke the bread. Ready? We are thankful, we are thankful for, the gift of scripture. for the gift of scripture. Amen. Took us about five times, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he had a tablet in front of him. So. <laughs> let's let's pray. The Lord, open our eyes and our hearts this morning to the ways that you come to us, whether through song, word, or reflection. We thank you, God, that you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, several years ago, a clergy colleague shared a story with me about something a visitor wrote one time on one of those um, comment cards. It said, I was enjoying a cup of coffee with some members of your church, and when the music started, I followed them inside. What a shock. Songs about Jesus, stories about Jesus, prayers to Jesus, it's like I was walking into some creepy Jesus cult. You do know he's been dead for 2,000 years, right? This is what this said on the comic card. How quickly we forget the message of Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We are Easter people, 
And at times we live in a Good Friday world full of death and hatred. We need to be constantly reminded that we are all in need of a fresh encounter with the risen Christ, to be reminded that he is not dead but alive. So over the next four Sundays, we will hear stories of those who had close encounters with the risen Christ after his resurrection and how it affected their lives. The people we'll hear about in the next few weeks were able to move from sadness to hope, fear to confidence, doubt to confirmation, failure to restoration, and shattered dreams to new beginnings after their encounter with Christ. In these close encounters, the risen Christ changed people, and he's still in the business of changing people today. I think it's important to note that there is a profound difference between a meeting and an encounter. Meetings are usually planned and predictable events where routine business is discussed, and most of the time we walk out of a meeting unaffected by what has happened. An encounter, on the other hand, is often unplanned and has profound consequences. An encounter is a deeper experience where the agenda is not set by us. It is unlikely to leave an encounter affect, unaffected or unchanged. In fact, we may never be the same again after an encounter. Mark Bradford, who wrote a book called Encountering the Risen Christ, suggests that there are three natures of an encounter. The first is disorientation. When we have an encounter, it should disorient us. We're by human nature set in our own ways, right? We like our routines. We like to know what's happening. We do things in the same order. We like to sit in the same pew at church every Sunday, right? So to be disoriented, we need to see things in a new way and experience the risen Christ where we may not have seen him before. We need to realize that at times we ourselves are dead in some way and are in need of resurrection. And it's so true. There was a study done a few years ago that said that 70% of United Methodists come to church without the expectation that God will be present in worship. That's 70% of United Methodists who do not expect to have an encounter with the holy or divine when they come to church. Yikes. So we need to be disoriented and shaken out of our routine. We need to let the unexpected disorient us, to blow us off course, and to call into question our current way of living. This starts by opening ourselves to the possibility of an encounter. It's as if our eyes have been closed and all this time and we need to open them again. The second nature of an encounter is reimagination. An encounter with the risen Christ forces us to reimagine our lives, the world and the way in which we live. An encounter should allow space for us to reimagine our sorrows, our fears or our doubts, our senses of failure, and shattered dreams in the light of the risen Christ. The third nature of an encounter, then, is transformation. An encounter with the risen Christ will result in transformed living, and we walk away transformed as people with a passion and desire to live our lives as new and changed people. 
When I was on my faith journey learning about Jesus coming from Judaism and what it was to be a Christian, I knew I was really trying to find something. I was seeking something. I wanted to know for sure what I believed, and I prayed that something would be revealed to me. But I wasn't sure what that something was. At one point in my journey, I almost gave up on my search for answers, and I found myself similar to the centurion who seeks Jesus out to heal his son when he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I remember one night when I was in tears. I was with a friend, and I was frustrated that I just didn't know anymore, that I would never find what I was looking for. But it was in that moment where I had an encounter with the risen Christ, who offered me the kind of peace that I never had felt before. I knew that once I accepted and experienced this encounter that my life would never be the same. It was an encounter that assured me that I didn't need to have all the answers. I just needed to be and let the spirit into my life. Whenever I'm asked to share my call story into ministry, I talk about how once I accepted Jesus as the risen Lord, I knew I was called to be a Christian, but I also knew I was called into ministry. I feel that I really had no other choice. And there was no turning back. And what a journey it has been. An encounter with the risen Christ changes people. It can change you and me. There's a great quote that says, Christ is always reliable, but he is never predictable. We always need to be open to the ways in which he will seek to disrupt business as usual. And that's the business of our lives. For a friend of mine, business as usual meant a life that revolved around drug abuse. She was in need of a wake-up call, that something disorienting enough that she would be a changed person. One night, she was near death from an overdose. And she believes that Jesus appeared to her and gave her the strength to pick herself up, up off the floor. From that moment on, she made the life changing decision to seek the help she needed to be drug-free and a life that would help others do the same. Her encounter with the risen Christ that night left her a changed person. Business as usual needed to be disrupted in order for that transformation to occur. So for Cleopas and his companion on that Easter evening, it was business as usual as they walked along the road to their home discussing the strange news and events of the day. Interesting to note that Cleopas might be the same person as Clopas, whose wife Mary was present at the cross of Jesus. I think it's even safe to assume that Cleopas' companion is in fact his wife, right? Mary, or at least the two were husband and wife. They're walking along the road to their home, and this is not something we usually see portrayed, right, in illustrations. Here's a, a classic photo or painting of the walk to Emmaus. But I think that it was a husband and wife. But as they walk along, Jesus disrupts their conversation and joins them, but they don't recognize him. Now, we're not sure why they don't recognize him. I wish I had the answer to that. But either way, 
He joins them and asks what they are talking about. He then opens their mind to understand the scriptures in a new way. In other words, he gave them a little theology lesson. So when they reach Emmaus, he is invited into their home where they recognize him in the breaking of the bread. Now, what was it about the breaking of the bread that made them realize who this was? Not only did his words sound familiar to them as he blessed the bread, perhaps reminding them of the Last Supper, but also what would they have noticed about his hands as they, he broke the bread? His wounds. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what made them realize who this was. So in the Gospels, the only people who see the risen Christ are those who knew him in life. They don't recognize him by the way he looks, but by his words and his wounds. Would we recognize Jesus today by the way he looks? Probably not. No, we recognize him in the words of kindness, wounds meant for healing, and in the broken places of our lives and in the world. And it was no different for Cleopas and possibly Mary. Cleopas and Mary on the road to Emmaus encounter the risen Christ in two particular transformative ways. Upon hearing and meditating on the story and the scriptures as they are revealed anew to them and in the breaking of the bread. And they walked away from that encounter as transformed people who ran back to Jerusalem and let the others know what they had seen. Not only that, but they walked away from their close encounter with a new and reimagined understanding of God's story as told in the scriptures. Their hearts were on fire as this stranger spoke with them. In the language of the New Testament, it is the heart where one thinks and makes decisions. It is an image of how an encounter with the risen Christ changes our manner of thought and living. And in this encounter, their hearts were changed. They had no choice but to live their lives in a different way. Cleopas and Mary encountered the risen Christ as they walked along the road to Emmaus, and their hearts burned within them. He was made known to them in the breaking of the bread and through the words that he spoke and the wounds that he carried. Where do we see Christ today in the world? Whether through healing words that we hear or that we offer, or wounds that we ourselves carry or are carried by someone else. The risen Christ is present in hurting and broken places, just as he is present whenever the story of God is heard and lived out. This is why we must let ourselves be open to an encounter with the risen Christ, to let him disorient us, to help us reimagine the story of God and to send us back into our lives as transformed people. So today you are invited to reflect, to reimagine, to get disoriented, and have a close encounter with the risen one. Let him make himself known to you in the breaking of the bread. Let your heart be set on fire over and over again through words and wounds for healing. For many of us, an encounter such as this may be long overdue. Amen. In our next text comes from John chapter 11, verses 4 through 16. When he heard this, Jesus said, This illness isn't fatal. 
It's for the glory of God so that God's Son can be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was. After two days, he said to his disciples, Let's return to Judea again. The disciples replied, Rabbi, the Jewish opposition wants to stone you, but you want to go back? Jesus answered, Aren't there twelve hours in the day? Whoever walks in the day doesn't stumble because they see the light of the world. But whoever walks in the night does stumble because the light isn't in them. He continued, Our friend Lazarus is sleeping, but I am going in order to wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will get well. They thought Jesus meant that Lazarus was in a deep sleep, but Jesus had spoken about Lazarus' death. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. For your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you can believe. Let's go to him. Then Thomas, the one called Didymus, said to the other disciples, Let us go too, so that we may die with Jesus. We are thankful for the gift of scripture. Amen. Hello. Welcome again to Noblesville First. I'm Matt Hantelman, one of the pastors here at Noblesville First, and I'm glad you're joining us, whether here in person or online. Whenever we go through a major season, whether it be Christmas or Lent culminating in Easter or a sports season ending in a big game or a school year letting out for the summer, I always find myself asking, now what? I think in the case of Easter, the apostles and the other disciples were likely in a similar situation. Here they were witnessing the crucifixion of the man they called Lord and followed for years and wondering what it all means. I'm sure there was a flurry of emotion and almost certainly including grief and confusion. As the story unfolded, Jesus appeared to certain groups But early on, Thomas, one of the apostles, or Didymus, which means twin, wasn't with them. And I'd like to share some thoughts on Thomas' journey today. Many of us have heard Thomas' nickname before that he received as a result of this story, Doubting Thomas. You can actually find a definition of Doubting Thomas on Merriam-Webster's website, It said that that Doubting Thomas is an incredulous or habitually doubtful person. Honestly, I think that's kind of an unfair way to talk about an apostle that we actually know very little about. That's the reason that for this, I chose the other story that we have about Thomas in the Gospels as our scripture this morning, from when Jesus was about to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. In that scenario, Jesus had already stirred up trouble in Judea, and Most of the disciples were worried about him returning, but Thomas was ready to follow Jesus anywhere, which caused his reply in John 11, 16, let us also go that we may die with him. That doesn't sound much like a doubting person, does it? From here, I think it's important to look at two things. What did Thomas actually doubt and what was Jesus' reaction to his doubt? We find these things later in John chapter 20, after some of the disciples had seen Jesus. For some reason, Thomas wasn't with them when it happened, So, which we hear about in verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples told him, we have seen him. We have seen the Lord. And he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Here we see Thomas's doubt. Doubt that others had actually seen the risen Christ. In fact, if I were to play out how this conversation worked in my head, I can hear the disciples telling him, and Thomas asking if they saw the marks in his hands and his side. Because surely if they had, they would have said so, and said, yes, we did see them. It was really him. But it may be that they had to reply, no, I didn't see his hands, but it was definitely him. And Thomas, filled with the sadness and loss of the Lord he followed and loved and was willing to die for, wouldn't allow himself to believe without knowing for sure it was him. But this is us, isn't it? How often are we confronted with a truth that is contrary to our belief and our response is, I won't believe until I can see for myself. We need to do our own research, ask our own trusted sources, figure out for ourselves why our original belief could be wrong. We are all Thomas sometimes, deciding that we have to figure it out for ourselves. And then the story continues. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus comes into a locked space and offers Thomas what he is looking for. While there is the suggestion that belief without proof exists and is blessed, that doesn't stop Jesus from offering Thomas his hands. He doesn't say, you should have just believed, Thomas. As we encounter Jesus in our lives, we should always be working to share our, in our encounters with others, telling stories of how we have met Jesus and that he is risen. And those that believe from our stories are indeed blessed. But Thomas was not a faithless man, far from it. And Jesus did not deny him an encounter to help him believe. Nor should we. While we have our own stories about Jesus, and those may draw some to Christ, in our post-Easter world, we should also be working to allow others to encounter the risen Christ themselves, whether through upwards or downwards worship. Upwards worship is helping people draw their eyes up to God in prayer, singing of praise and worship songs and hymns, encountering God through the reading of scripture or anything else that draws our eyes up. And downward worship being anything that engages us in drawing the kingdom of God here, feeding the hungry, inviting the stranger, helping the oppressed. These are the ways we can offer for people to encounter the risen Christ, like Thomas did. We are all Thomas sometimes. Sometimes ready to go and face whatever is ahead with Christ. Sometimes denying the truth others share with us until we can prove it to ourselves. 
I encourage you to work towards helping people encounter the living Christ for themselves. And do you know what the secret to helping people encounter Christ is? It's encountering him yourself. Worshiping God, whether upwards or downwards, yourself is, in my experience, the best way to help others encounter Jesus. I've been a worship leader for most of my life, and one of the best ways I've ever heard leading worship described goes like this. Imagine yourself on a busy street, a big city, maybe Chicago, maybe New York, and people are bustling around. And you're walking down the street, and then carefully, so as not to let people run into you, you stop, and you look up. People will be moving around you. Don't be distracted by them. Don't stop and look at them. Just look up. And eventually, someone will probably stop next to you and look up. Don't look at them. Don't look around. Just look up. And then somebody else will stop. And then another. And before you know it, a crowd of people will have formed around you trying to figure out what you are looking at. And that, that is what leading worship is. When you are so engrossed in experiencing the presence of God that others can't help but try to figure out what you're looking at. This is true, as true of planting seeds at the teeter hoop house as it is singing your heart out to your favorite hymn. When you take the time to encounter God, it encourages others to figure out what you're looking at. And then you can invite them to encounter the living Christ with you and believe. Amen.